buyout had never even come up. I think that's speculation and, you, you know, it's never been a thing. I'm still sitting here year 14. What I'm going to try to be is, is, and like I've told Kobe and JB, a positive force. Wherever this ends up, I just want to make sure that at least internally and here when we walk into this building, that it's positive. When I you know, go to, well, it used to be Quicken Loans, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, I want it to be positive. And it's the same thing last year. We know what's going on, you know, within the locker room. Everybody had their moments, me included, maybe me specifically. But I want to make sure that it's it's going to be positive so long as I'm donning a, uh, a Cavs jersey. Goodbye, Kevin, our old friend. Go! Kevin, what? I hope we don't see you again. And I'm going to unload it and he drilled Because it. I still believe you have some left. Your other passes, they were Pretend I understand. Uh, JB was super transparent with But we did not mess up your hand. I know what it takes to win. Trying to help this team. Before we finally put the cats in front. And on paper, we look actually really good. When my eyes were stabbed by a Lloyd headline in the night. Kevin Love finalizing a buyout. This can't be right. And now I cry in silence. <laughs> Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast, still in the midst of an all-star break. No games happening now. But with the news being official, with the departure of Kevin Love, I thought I would revisit this subject with a little bit more perspective, a little bit more information. We know where he's going to land. The Miami Heat, Kevin Love, is joining an Eastern Conference rival. Now, I am conflicted on this. I think this podcast, I wouldn't say that it's going to be negative. However, I wouldn't say everything I say about Kevin Love or the front office will be positive necessarily. I think there's things I understand. I think there's things I disagree with. Let's just start with Kevin Love. First off, when Kevin Love got traded here, I saw a lot of people question the Cavaliers doing that, especially when his stats were more muted than what people had come to expect in Minnesota. But for me, any of those questions about Kevin Love became irrelevant the moment the Cavaliers won that NBA title and the moment Kevin Love locked up Curry on that critical possession. From that moment forward, the warts, the struggles to adapt, the fit in or fit out, all of that stuff was irrelevant. He might not have given us Minnesota Kevin, but he gave us enough alongside LeBron James and Kyrie Irving to push us over the finish line. Our organization had experienced something it never had before, and I felt nothing but appreciation for Kevin. In fact, from that moment forward, pretty much everything that's transpired, the extension, which many of us question as, well, is this the right move for a team that's tearing down? All of it, I could live with and I could stomach because of my affinity for Kevin as a person. However, I will say I'd be lying. If I said I don't have any sour feelings to how Kevin handled this situation, it is no secret that for the better part of the last four years, when Kevin has been on this massive, nearly $30 million a year deal, he has had issues, whether it be health issues, a few seasons ago played 25 games, whether it be the dust-ups he got in with John Beeline and Colin Sexton and the young core that was rebuilding while he was beyond that point in his career. 
There was the Oklahoma City game incident. There was the Toronto incident. But I think we can all acknowledge in the past two seasons, we have seen a gigantic shift, not just in Kevin's behavior, but in the view all of us as fans have for him. I'd come to appreciate him even more because he was able to make the shift from being a true frontline star in the NBA to a bench player and a willing bench player, not a malcontent, just simply accepting the role that the Cavs asked and cashing those massive paychecks to do it. He embraced coming off the bench. He finished third in sixth man of the year voting last year. He led the league in charges taken. A man never known for defense was finding a way to contribute in whatever way he could there. We rolled into this season, he was singing the praises of JB, of the culture, of the team, of being a veteran presence, of how much he loved having Ricky Rubio back. Just listen to this clip. I said, this sacrifice could really give back more than it costs. And at this point, um, you know, in my career, he he told me I'm still going to get a good amount of minutes. So I'm like, man, if I can, you know, kind of pivot where my career is at, have zero expectations going into it other than to just go out there and play hard 20, 25 minutes a night and help lead this team. That was from the JJ Reddick podcast. Notice he said the sacrifice was fine if he's given 20 to 25 minutes a night. That is clearly where things have changed. And I understand that. The difference between being told you can contribute 20 minutes a night to winning And being told that your biggest contribution to winning is simply not being out there. Completely different perspective. And then we arrive here after a brutal, by any measure, January, in which Kevin Love played some of the worst basketball we've ever seen him play. 23% from three, 30% from the floor, and always seemingly a step slow in trying to take any charges. And JB made the tough decision, one which I have applauded on this podcast, of removing him from the rotation. Now, I never viewed that as permanent permanent, in part because while that may be a choice that the Cavs wanted to make and stick with in a scenario where every Cavalier was healthy, Dean, Evan, Jarrett, I didn't expect that that would hold. And I just assumed that at some point between now and the end of the regular season, or perhaps even the playoffs, Kevin Love would be forced to log minutes again. And hopefully, if and when that day came, he would be ready. His hand would be right with the time down he'd have a chance to get right, either physically or mentally, and he had an opportunity to play a role. The the plug has been pulled on that. And that is some of my frustration with Kevin because a man who'd been with the team eight full seasons and parts of nine was now pulling the plug on his Cavalier career after just a few weeks of being out of the rotation, a time span in which the Cavaliers were playing some of their very best basketball. I guess I just hoped that Kevin cared a little bit more about putting clean bookends on his tenure as a Cavalier and seeing this process through to the playoff return than he did about simply trying to carve out a few extra minutes before free agency this summer. Now, it's a business. I get it. But it's just kind of a bummer to constantly be reminded that what the fan wants is always, always secondary to what the player wants. And in this case, I think what the Cavs' front office should have wanted was secondary to what Kevin wanted. I remember a conversation that Adam Silver talked about having with Bill Russell a few years ago about how for the game to really be in its best place, there's this balance that has to be struck between the desires of the players, the owners, and the fans. And more and more, 
Think about anything from this week. Players forcing their way out via trade. Guys not participating in the dunk contest. The load management. All of those things could fall in the, well, fuck what the fan wants category. They could. Now, I'm not that offended by all-star game stuff because it's really just a showcase for the game. But the things on the actual court, losing Kevin matters to me because I'm invested in the Cavaliers' success. This is what I said on Twitter. Professional courtesy to Kevin is one thing, but it it should have at least been a two-way street. There was a path where both sides could say they got an acceptable outcome and even maybe one that resulted in Kevin not being with the Cavaliers. But I think it's very difficult to take this path where you gave Kevin his money, sent him on his way to land on a team which you may have to face in the first round of the playoffs and say that that was in the Cavaliers' best interest because I don't think it was. I think the only win the Cavs' front office gets there is that they appear to have taken the high road and subjected their own best interests for Kevin. And to me, that's got to stop happening. If you operate like you're beholden to everyone else, they'll treat you that way. Tristan, Andre, Kevin, teams know they can just wait us out because we will buy out everybody. You have to draw a line in the sand at some point because who's to say that the Cavaliers couldn't have traded Kevin Love? Just a week ago, the Cavs said they had no intentions of buying him out. That changed. Whether it's because Kevin's stance changed and they decided, well, we didn't have this information before the trade deadline, maybe that's the case. But still, looking back now at the podcast I did right before the trade deadline where I talked about how important it is to consider shopping Kevin if you're not going to put him back in the rotation, it feels all the more prophetic now. Because you could have turned Kevin into a couple of rotation players. And instead, what we got was nothing an empty roster spot. I I feel like I'm somewhat fair and that I understand the player's point of view. I understand why Kevin would want to get some minutes, but for me, I guess paying him nearly $200 million over these eight seasons, I think it should earn you a little bit more than three weeks of patience. That's just my opinion. Now let's transition off of Kevin onto the front office, because that's, I would say it's the larger component of my disappointment here is how the front office handled it. I already have alluded to the fact that I hate how these buyouts are being handled league-wide. It's not just a Cavalier problem, but this concept of giving a guy his full salary to go play valuable minutes for another team is frustrating. And even more so when our team views ourselves as a contender. The way that you handle Tristan Thompson and Andre Drummond, it cannot be the same way that you handle this situation. The circumstances were entirely different. When the Cavaliers failed to get anything in a trade for Tristan Thompson and they bought him out and he went to the Celtics, or when the Cavaliers couldn't find somebody to trade for Andre Drummond and they bought him out and they went to the Lakers, did I like those? No, I didn't. There's no reason for a team to pay someone his salary to go and provide basketball for other teams around the league. I don't love it, but I listen to two things said all the time. Well, you know what? He was good for us, so reward him for his loyalty by letting him go chase a title. Okay, fine. Now, I've always viewed the reward for performing your job duties as the millions upon millions of guaranteed dollars. But let's say that there is this hypothetical threshold where a guy passes a certain number of years with a team, and then we decide, in addition to the money, we're also going to do something for you that's in your best interests, but not ours. Fine. Let's just say I'm on board with that, although I think you can tell I'm not really. But then the second one is, and this this is one of my least favorite arguments in all of 
you know, professional basketball discourse. Well, it shows other guys that, that will treat you well. Players go to teams for two reasons, money and opportunity. Opportunity for playing time, opportunity to chase a ring. It'll be one of those two, sometimes both of them. They're not mutually exclusive. But this idea that a player is going to say, well, they treated Kevin Love right, so I'm going to go sign with the Cavaliers. It just doesn't exist. I, I heard that for years in Los Angeles. Well, we extended Kobe at that insane contract because we wanted to show we treated our stars right. What did it get you? It got you years of failure until LeBron bailed you out. And why did LeBron go there? For control and money and the opportunity to shape that team in his image and build upon his legacy. Just like when he came back to the Cavs. Don't kid yourself. Was part of his reason for coming back to get that title he said he was going to bring the Cavs? Sure. But do I think it was a coincidence that the Cavs also had multiple number one picks? They had Kyrie Irving, Andrew Wiggins to trade. They had the ability to build a young, long-term core that Miami no longer had. That was a huge part of the reason. This concept that buying out Kevin Love is going to show players and get them to come here because we treated him with respect. That is frosting on a brownie or sauce on a burrito. Both of them may seem like acceptable things to do, but they make the product worse. By the way, on the subject of food, for those of you who remember my rant about Girl Scout cookies from a previous episode, I'd just like to update you. The Girl Scout showed up today with the cookies. She brought two boxes. I ordered the best cookies, the Samoas and the Tagalongs. What this seven-year-old handed me was the Samoas and a box of Dosey Dose, those dry-ass peanut butter wafer cookies. Like, they're kind of like Nutter Butters. I wanted the chocolate-dipped peanut butter ones, the Tagalongs. What exactly is the play here? When a seven-year-old walks to your house from wherever she lives in your neighborhood, she only had two boxes in her hand. She didn't have a wagon with a bunch of options. This appeared to be a very targeted trip. Am I going to send her all the way back to her house? to get me the correct box of cookies. And part of me thinks it's a conspiracy. There's part of me that thinks somebody in their family knows that's not what I ordered because I was very clear. They thought this cuck of a man who answered his door while he was in the middle of painting, he's not going to send back a box of Girl Scout cookies, a $6 box of cookies. No, just give him the six bucks, shut up and eat your dry cookies, you painting cuck. I feel like I was humbled by a seven-year-old today. But I'll get my vengeance against that child at a later date. Let's get back to the front office. There's no argument to be made that capitulating to Kevin Love's desires is going to impact your free agent market really at all. Maybe an agent feels a little bit better towards you. I guess you can hope for that. But we have no functional space, even with Kevin Love gone, to say nothing of losing his bird rights. But bigger than this, oh, it looks good to other free agents thing. I wish the front office would have figured out some way to talk Kevin back off their request or drawn a line in the sand because we might still need him. I'm more heartless than any of these people. These people have actual relationships with these players. They would have to look them in the face and tell them, no, we're not going to honor this because that's not what's in the best interests of this team. Now, there's an argument to be made for the fact that maybe the front office felt like refusing Kevin Love's request might have made him a negative locker room presence. I'm skeptical of that. The last thing he would have wanted is headlines before he hits free agency that he's incapable of accepting a diminished role because that's what lies ahead for him in the rest of his time in the NBA. That being said, I don't think his contributions on the court are done. 
And I know there's a section of the fan base that rationalizes this to themselves by saying, well, he was washed anyway. It'll help to get him out there with somebody else. I don't believe that. I think that's just something some of us tell ourselves to feel better about a situation which we couldn't stop from playing out the way that it did. So yeah, I guess in summary, I'm upset Kevin's gone. I understand why he would want to play. I think the contract should have bought a bit more patience. I don't love this trend of guys being bought out who maybe we could have shopped at the trade deadline. Now, I'm not in any of those discussions. Maybe there truly was just nothing to be had for Tristan, nothing to be had for Andre, nothing to be had for Kevin. But I can't help but wonder if the Cavaliers even aggressively did look. Part of me thinks that they didn't out of some sense of loyalty, which now, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see was not really reciprocated. When he had the opportunity, he forced his way out. And... I'm saddened by it, but I don't want this to be too negative towards Kevin because I really do understand his perspective. It's more the front office actions that I think could have been handled better. Since we're on this subject of players imposing their will upon franchises and fan bases at large, there's a lot of overlap when it comes to the subjects that the press put in front of Adam Silver when he spoke in Salt Lake City. Adam Silver had to answer several questions and all the big subjects came up. Load management, trade demands by players who are under contract, and of course, a staple of All-Star Weekend for the better part of a decade now. Why won't LeBron dunk? He's hurting his legacy. I'm going to sound like a hypocrite sitting here and saying I don't like a player like Kevin Love imposing his will on a franchise, but I'm fine with a player like LeBron James or John Morant not participating in the dunk contest. But that is in fact what I'm telling you. Let's get to the summation of the points of people who bash LeBron for this. I'll use Stephen A. as the example. But there is one blemish that should be on LeBron James' career. He has ruined the slam dunk contest. He is personally responsible. That's right. I'm saying it. That's right, guys. It's LeBron. Not Giannis, not Luka, not Durant and B. Tatum. None of them. Just LeBron. All the decisions of all the 450 individuals in the NBA, not just this year, but for the past decade, they all start and finish with LeBron James. They can't possibly be a sign of the times, a reflection of the player empowerment movement. None of those things factored in at all, I'm sure. Just a sign that everybody is an impressionable child who took LeBron's lead and didn't make independent decisions of their own. No, they did it because LeBron did. And don't forget, Nobody fears LeBron. Some don't even respect him. But here, in an opportunity where we can pin blame upon LeBron, he now carries unquestioned influence over every single player in the NBA to which they must submit their own free will. But please, say more, Stephen. Jordan and and Dominique and all of these guys, and they just did it so they could show off their dunking skills. They didn't do it because of that. They did it because they knew there was an audience out there clamoring for it. And it helped uplift the game. LeBron ignored that obligation. That is the most benevolent description of a complete load of shit I've ever heard. Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins participated in the event when it first originated. When it was still new and shiny and it raised your profile. It was the Belushi era of SNL. When LeBron James entered the league, do you know who the last four dunk competitions were? Before he even could have participated? Desmond Mason, Jason Richardson, twice and Fred Jones of the Pacers. The ship had already sailed, but by all means, pin it on LeBron James. This century, nobody's given a shit, and there's nothing to gain. 
in an era where every game is on TV, where all the highlights are easily available, and where you don't need the dunk competition to raise your profile. Adam Silver said this exact thing over the course of the weekend when questioned about why stars won't participate. The world changes. Back then, their games were not available on your phone, every single one of them, every night, 24-7, the way they are now. So there were different incentives to present themselves to the world. And we have to adjust. Yeah, you do have to adjust your expectations. And also, you need to turn the mirror around on yourself if you're wondering why LeBron might not think there's anything to gain here. Just look at his career. Just look at what he's criticized for. You have a man who went to eight straight NBA Finals. has been to ten during the course of his career. But because he lost six of those, those are weaponized against him. It almost would have been better if he just didn't participate in those at all. Because losses are worse than participation, period. That's the standard, right? Six wins in finals, a few first-round exits, a couple seasons where you just retired in the middle of your prime. That's better than a 4-6 and six record in 10 NBA Finals appearances. That's what we've been told is the rule. And I'll listen to that. But what I won't do is hear that and then hear people say, well, LeBron needs to participate in the dunk contest for participation's sake. Which is it? LeBron doesn't have the respect of the players, but in this scenario, everybody is following his lead. LeBron should participate, but when he did it in the NBA Finals, that's actually a blemish on his legacy. We have nobody to blame but ourselves as an NBA fandom at large for why LeBron will not dunk. LeBron James has everything to lose and nothing to gain in the dunk contest because if he does participate and somehow he loses to a Nate Robinson, he loses to a Jeremy Evans, do you think that won't be held against him? Have you forgotten the Jordan Crawford tape that Nike suppressed because somebody dunked on him in a pickup game? Do you forget how that was covered? Why the fuck would LeBron do this? There's absolutely zero to gain and everything to lose. And the same can be said for John Morant, for Zion Williamson, or for any other incredible in-game dunker who is going to be put up against G League level players. I get why those guys do it. Because it raises their profile, it puts their names on the tongues of fans, everywhere meanwhile my tongue it's wrapped around lebron here because i get it dude keep doing you fuck the haters i really didn't have any intentions of this turning into soapbox bob but it did and that's mainly because there's no game so feel grateful that soon the cavaliers will be in action and you won't have to get me a preachy sanctimonious i bleep that out I saw somebody comment on how my podcast is not family friendly, and you have a point there. I can't rein in the sailor mouth entirely, but I'll try to refrain from hard sea bombs, except when they really make my point well. Now, as I mentioned last week, I will be doing some traveling this week, so it's not going to be as it is usually when these games happen. It may take me a few days into early next week to get back in the rhythm when I'm back in front of my mic in my home studio doing my thing. But until then, get by on this steaming pile of hate and the Fear the Fro podcast will be back. Thank you to everyone who has listened, subscribed, left reviews, left ratings, and joined me for every episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio. 
Now get out there and try not to dehumanize anyone, okay? Levert, live the boat, This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.